So, uh, kind of in the interim, before we kick off our first Peter series in a couple of weeks, um, just wanted to talk a little, about, little bit this morning about the concept of grace, and um, I, I think the, the goal, the intent, the purpose, the this morning will be successful if statement is that we are awed by the, the depth and height and just majesty and beauty of grace. Um, and so we'll look at a couple of passages of Scripture and, and kind of spend the first few minutes just laying out the concept of grace, looking at some, uh, some quotes of, of, about grace, and then uh, at the conclusion of, of the message this morning, apply that. What does it mean? And so, so I, I really want us to, to it is of, of benefit to us to be told about grace and to be reminded of grace and then in such a way that, that it becomes part of our, the, the, the stew that's in our brain of, you know, things that we think about constantly and consistently and, and be reminded of all the time. And it's something, grace as a concept and grace as a, as a need in our lives is something that is, um, we need to be preaching to ourselves all the time, all the time, all the time. Because when we don't do that, when we don't hear it preached from externally and internally, we can, we can slip and, and miss out. So let's lay it out and then see it in Scripture and then apply this concept of grace. So I um, have four quotes, and, and all four of these quotes are in the bulletin that I handed you as you kind of walked in. Charlie, or I handed it to you as you walked in. Um, really beautiful quotes about the the whole of grace. First, from a guy named Paul Zoll, um, says this, Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. And very intentionally put these in a bulletin so you could take the bulletin with you and, and have these quotes and these thoughts to just kind of wrestle with. And again, the purpose is to, to be in awe this morning in such a way that it puts us in awe for the coming days and for us to go and and meditate on these verses and on these quotes. Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. We'll talk about that when we get into the verses. And grace is being loved when you are unlovable. The next thought, this is uh, Gerhard Ford. Um, Christianity is not the move from vice to virtue, but instead, rather, the move from virtue to grace. Christianity is not about changing our lives, but being infatuated and, and deeply moved and deeply content with the grace of God so that we are drawn to virtue because of the beauty of, of what grace is. Uh, next two quotes are from a guy named Tulian Chavidian, uh, pastor in uh, I think it's Dallas somewhere, happens to be the grandson of Billy Graham, uh, says this, God's grace doesn't demand you get clean before you come to Jesus. Rather, our only hope for getting clean is to come to Jesus. That is grace. That's the, the very definition of grace. And, and so many times in our lives, so many times in my life, and I'm a stinking pastor, is that we don't approach God, we don't pray, we don't study Scripture, we don't pursue God because of some sin that's present in our lives, 
And that is a stinking slap in the face to grace. Don't go to God because you've cleaned yourself up. You go to God to get cleaned up. Never, ever discount grace in such a way where you won't go to God because there's sin present in your life. That's just stupid. Javidian also says this, only in the gospel does love precede loveliness. Everywhere else, loveliness precedes love. Just think about how majestic and beautiful grace is. It's got, there's nothing that you need to do to experience it. When I go out on a date with my wife, I want to wear the clothes that she likes. I want to, you know, put on the cologne that she likes. And I I want her to think I'm lovely. And she does the same thing. But the beauty of grace is the love that we receive has nothing to do with our loveliness. In fact, it's what changes us to make us lovely. The magnitude of grace from Psalm 103 He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us. Man, my heart just weeps with the beauty of that. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from our sins, from us. The beauty of this, and this is kind of a, like, fourth grade Sunday school pipe cleaner illustration, but we can travel to the North Pole, we can travel to the South Pole, but if you start going east, you'll never quit going east. If you start going west, you'll never quit going west. You never reach the end of the West. You follow the, the majesty of that? As far as the East is from the West, like it's unattainable how far our sins are from us due to grace. Man. Turn to Luke chapter 7. We'll spend a few minutes in, in Luke chapter 7 and then a few minutes in Luke chapter 10. Um, this, uh, this set of verses here, these 15 verses in Luke 7, starting in verse 36, a uh, familiar story that you've probably heard before. I want to lay out the two major players here. First is the religious guy. That's how I'm referring to him. Uh, scripture sometimes calls him a teacher of the law or a Pharisee or whatever, but let's just call him a religious guy, somebody who's proud of who he is. Um, three facts about this guy that paint who he is and how he's going to act. And see, these are actions motivated by grace. This guy is unaffected by grace, and therefore his actions are not motivated by grace. He's filled with unbelief, with self-righteousness, and condescension. Um, His actions here are ruled by doubt, and they're ruled by his understanding that somehow he is superior. Do Do you understand that if you fully get and grasp the concept of grace, there can never be superiority about you because you're 
You've got nothing to give, nothing of value aside from what has been given to you. But this guy doesn't get the concept of grace, therefore there's some sort of superiority. Now, here's the, the antonym of that. If you're walking around this, this earth feeling some sort of superiority to someone or some group of people or something, you need to understand grace better. So, red flag in your life. So there's unbelief, there's condescension, and there's self-righteousness that, that wraps up this man. Uh, and, and some ulterior motives for this guy to, to even have Jesus over for dinner. And then the second person, uh, it's, she's referred to here in the story as the sinner, but, but she's a prostitute. And everybody in the world, everybody in the town knows it. She shows up at this dinner, and instantly she's recognized as somebody who is a prostitute. And what we can say about her, her actions here are, are dictated by her sacrifice, by her worship, and by her emotion. And what she does here are dictated by those things because she has engaged grace. And Christ will, will expose that in both the religious guy and the prostitute and then use it as opportunities to teach his disciples. So let's get to verse 36, Luke 7. One of the Pharisees, that's the religious guy, asked him to eat with him. Genuine thing. Jesus, come hang out with me. I want to I go and connect with you. There's uh, a lot of mentors that I have in my life, and so I, whenever I, I need to, to engage them, I know they're busy, but they know they eat lunch every day. So I go and call them and say, hey, let's hang out, let's talk, let's have lunch together so we can, I can get close to you. So perfectly legitimate thing for this religious guy to want to get close to Jesus, but his motives for wanting to get close to Jesus are exposed as we go on. And he, and Jesus, and he Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. So Jesus, maybe some other people, and this religious guy sitting at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, that's the prostitute, the one who's filled with sacrifice and worship and emotion, when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So she comes in, and standing behind him, it's a, there's lessons that we can learn there, not even standing in front of him, standing behind him, weeping because she was connected with her sin, connected with who he is, connected with her, her unworthiness to even be there with him. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, watch the Pharisees' motives exposed. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Speaks to the superiority of this man. I have the right to talk to Jesus, but she doesn't. Speaks to the the self-righteousness of this guy. Like, I have cleaned myself up in such a way that I have the right to sit in front of this guy, to sit in front of Jesus. And also speaks to his unbelief. Do you see what the, the, the first thought that he has? If this man were a prophet, I don't believe that you're a prophet. What does he care then? If, if he doesn't believe Jesus who he says he is, then what's the point? It's about power. It's about authority. It's about getting close to somebody who can give you something. It's about being a part of somebody's kingdom who is going to establish some great and powerful kingdom so that I can be like, have some sort of important job in that kingdom. 
It has nothing to do with getting close to this guy. Nothing to do with true pursuit of God. So Jesus seizes this opportunity. He sees this in front of him, somebody acting motivated by grace and somebody acting motivated by selfishness and and self-righteousness and condescension and superiority. Jesus seizes this opportunity to teach about grace and what it is and then shows it off by forgiving this lady's sins. Let's keep going. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. This is Peter with him. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And now here comes the rebuke. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet. I entered I, with, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but she has wet my feet with her tears and then wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. This is a strong rebuke that we absolutely have to connect with. How do we, how do we look at God? More like this righteous guy or more like this prostitute? Let me say this to you. No matter who you think you are or what you think you bring to the table, you have nothing about you that is not a product of grace. No matter who you think you are or what you think you bring to the table, there is nothing about you that you bring to the kingdom of God that is worthy of paying attention to, that is worthy of you plugging into some sort of ministry here at this church. Nothing about you that's not a product of grace. Nothing about you is not a product of grace. And when we understand that, How can there ever be any sort of superiority? It can't be. We can never act like this guy. And and it's also got to engage our heart to this awe of worship. Verse 48. Now, Jesus has just been talking about grace. And here, he practices grace. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then to those who were at the table with him, he began to say, they began to say among themselves, who is this guy that he forgives sins? They come to Jesus crippled by their unbelief. You have no right to forgive sins. I don't believe who you are. And so I, they're, they're crippled by their unbelief and they can't engage the grace of God. But he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A lot of times we pass by that simple phrase. She has been affected by grace. She has been engaged by grace. They have, grace has led her to this sacrificial, emotional, giving of herself reaction. And Christ engages her in the midst of that. And what he says to her is go in peace. 
We spend much of life seeking to gain this sort of peace for ourselves, for our lives. And here, as this woman has pursued Christ and Christ has engaged her, he says to her, go in peace. Flip over a couple of chapters to Luke 10. Uh, The context of this story is a teacher of the law is asking Jesus who his neighbor is that he's commanded to love him as himself. Okay, we're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. We know that. Okay, this teacher of the law says, okay, Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is. If I'm supposed to love him as myself, tell me who he is. And Jesus says that grace towards all of mankind, that's who your neighbor is. Before we get into the, the depth of this, understand here, this is, we just talked about the, the actions of grace of this woman and the, the religious guy, and now this is the, the mission of grace. What does grace inspire us to do? What is the mission that it gives us? Um, Luke ten thirty. Familiar story. Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, religious guy, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, which is another worker inside of the church, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. That's the mission. That's it. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. When we see that, go and do likewise, that is Jesus teaching us mission for our lives. Okay, so let's examine this passage and find out what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. Um, You guys are probably familiar with Jewish people and Samaritan people. It's a deep-rooted generational racism that is prevalent in the society, all right? And in the story here, the character that is Jesus is the Samaritan, which destroys superiority. That Jesus is a Jewish guy speaking to Jewish people, and the person who plays them in the story is a Samaritan guy. Destroys our superiority, which is what grace absolutely has to do. About this story, Tim Keller says this. Imagine you were beaten up and left, left half dead on the road. What if your only hope was to get help was to get help from someone who did not owe you any help, but actually owed you the opposite? What if your only hope was to get free grace from someone who had every reason to trample you? Okay, go back to the story. The Samaritan guy, deep Rooted racism from the Jews felt towards 
Samaritan people. Jewish guy in the street about to die. The person who, who has, there's mutual racism back and forth, but the Samaritan has absolutely no reason to help him. In fact, he has reason to go and finish the job. And his response is to help him. And that is the beauty of grace. What if your only hope in this life was to get grace from someone who had no reason to help you, but every reason to destroy you? This is what Christ has towards us. No reason to help us, only a reason to destroy us because of our sin. Except for the fact that God is filled with grace, and his grace overpowers our sin. I'm going to say that again. His grace overpowers our sin. That should make us weep. It should make us run from sin. It should motivate us to mission. It should motivate us to holiness. So what does, what does this mean for us now? I think it means for us two things. One thing for ourselves and one thing for our mission. <clears throat> First for ourselves, motivation towards holiness. This matchless, unattainable gift that we can never do anything to gain, do enough to gain, should show its face many times each day. When we are engaged with grace, when we are looking for it, we can imagine. I've got a, a, a little traction control on my car, a little light. When it's raining and I turn a corner, this little light pops on. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Your, your cars probably have it. You, you drive around the corner and like your car starts to slip and this light starts flickering. That, or maybe you have a, an ABS, an automatic braking system or whatever, and you brake and you feel the thump in your, in your foot and then maybe a light in your dashboard comes on that it's, it's affecting, we need that light for grace. And the more we engage grace, the more grace engages itself in us, the more we're, we're motivated to holiness. Do you follow that? And if we are pre- receiving preaching about grace externally and receiving grace preaching about grace internally, the more we begin to see that grace light flickering like the, the traction control in your car. Sin happens. We engage sin. We engage temptation. And sin happens in our lives. And then grace engages itself in us. And we can respond in holiness. Be, not because of anything that's a part of us. But because of the beauty of what grace is externally pushed into our lives. And it's also a motivation toward worship. If grace is truly amazing, and it is, when we behold it, and we should often if we're paying attention, then it must place our hearts in awe in a position of unprecedented worship. If grace is true, and it is, when we behold it, and we should Hundreds of times each day, it has to place our hearts in awe of God and of grace. And it has to place ourselves in an unprecedented position of worship. Do you see how foolish 
the prostitute looked in front of Christ. Don't let the familiarity of that passage pass by. What's happening there? She's weeping enough to create enough fluid to wash his feet. Then she's kissing those feet. Then she's rubbing her hair on those feet. Then she pours ointment onto those feet, which cost financially to her and cost respect to her. If, if you know that you are in the presence of somebody who feels superior to you, a lot of your time, if we're honest with ourselves, is to do our best to make that person think that maybe we're a little bit higher than we are. Except when we're fully comfortable with who we are and fully comfortable with who we want to value us. So it makes absolutely no difference what anyone in that room felt about this woman. The only thing that mattered is the one who offered grace to her. That's the only one that mattered. And it's got to motivate us to worship, to tears, to sacrifice, to emotion. More application. What does this say for our mission? Grace changes us so that you treat those who wrong you differently. Grace, because we've experienced grace, it's got to motivate us to treat those who wrong us and treat those that are different from us differently. What do you do when your spouse wrongs you? What do you do when your friends wrong you? What, what's your response to that? A lot of times, for me, and, and probably for you, if we're, we're real and honest with ourselves, this is a church, so sometimes we want to say, when my wife wrongs me, I forgive her, there's grace, there's immediate grace, but that's, that's, that's just stupid, that's not true. When your friends wrong you, the, most of the time when my friends wrong me, my reaction is just avoid them for a few days and maybe we'll both forget about it. How? That's a slap in the face to grace, to what Christ has done for you. The mission of our lives, and when I say mission of our lives, a lot of times we think of Ethiopia or China or something like that. There's a mission here. Sitting to your left and to your right is a mission. You're going to get in the car, drive somewhere. That's a mission to show the love of God to people, to show the grace of God to people. How ridiculous is it to hold on to something where somebody has wronged you? I'll take grace, but I'm not giving it out to anybody. Shame on you. What about your family? What about the church body? What do we do? How do we respond when your brother or your sister or somebody in this room wrongs you? We run from it. That's my first reaction is avoidance. I'm going to avoid that person. And then somewhere along the way, that person rises up and comes to me or God breaks my heart in such a way that I, I, I can't 
cling to it anymore. And the beauty that's found when, when two people engage grace together. The love, the beauty. So grace changes us in the way we treat people who wrong you, but it also changes us that we don't require something of people that God does not require of us. Grace changes us so that we do not require something of people that God does not require of us. You tracking with that? Many times we require no one to wrong us, no one to mess with us, no one to, for people to look like us. What would happen if someone who didn't believe like us, what would happen if a, a devout Muslim started coming to this church just to engage just to, to think about what, okay, I would like to study Christianity from a scholarly perspective. I would like to see the, or this church is doing a good job of serving North County, and, and I don't believe the Christianity stuff, but I want to connect with serving this community. What if that person started engaging? What if that Muslim, what if that Hindu started engaging with us? How would we, how would we interact with them? What if somebody came in here that didn't look like us, that didn't dress like us, that didn't have the same color of our skin, that wasn't from the same part of the country as we were? How would we respond to them? What if somebody started hanging out with us that was just engaging in sin all the time? Would you love them? How would you treat them? What if... Your neighbor you knew that they were I don't know fill in the blank. How would you engage them? What what would grace say to your mission towards that person? Grace says your acceptance and love of people can't be based on who people are and what they do. Grace screams that to you. If you are fully engaged with grace, it's screaming in your ear. Your acceptance and love of people can't be based on who they are and what they do. If it is, you're a freaking liar. Grace also says, love like I love you. Serve like I serve you. Forgive like I forgive you. So Jesus tells the story about the Samaritan. The whole deal about somebody who doesn't need or doesn't deserve any help 
in fact, deserves to be trampled. And he concludes that statement, that, that story with this statement, go and do likewise. That is the mission of grace. This grace that I've poured out on you, go and, and do it. Today might be a day for you to do some internal bookkeeping. Go and do likewise. Okay? What are we going and doing these days? Let's pray. God, I thank you for grace. Oh, I thank you for grace. God, I pray now as we have thought about the beauty and majesty of your grace, Father, would you change our hearts in this moment, God? Would you motivate us to worship? Would you motivate us to just be in awe of who you are, God, in awe of your grace? And, and would that engagement, that encounter, motivate us to holiness, motivate us to go and do Likewise, God, you are beautiful and amazing. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, Father, and this would not be just a 10-minute response time, God, but a life response time. God, break our hearts. Show us your grace in a beautiful and amazing way, God, and then give us what we need to go and live grace in this earth in this community, in this church, and in our families. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect and beautiful name that I pray. Amen.